What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we've got the first ever Monday mailbag where we answer your questions and our second big three draft. We're also going to recap opening weekend of Major League Baseball and talk about some big NFL news. Episode three coming at you right now. Hello, faithful Shoot Your Shot fans. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. P, how you doing today? I'm feeling good. We're uh, we're down here at the beach. Got some weirdly placed sunburn yesterday, but uh, overall feeling better than the Marlins. <laughs> it's hard to feel worse than the Marlins, so I'm with you there. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're going mobile today, but we've got to uh, to feed some content to our fans. So we're going to start off today with our first ever Monday mailbag, where we answer your questions. Our first question was actually sent in to us via voice recording through the Anchor app. So we're going to go ahead and play that for you. This question is from Jordan in Atlanta. Hey guys, big booyah to you. So Mike Trout hasn't seen an important ball game since his high school football playoff game, but everybody just automatically labels him the best player in the MLB. He just sits there and drinks his fruity margaritas on his fat paycheck with a second-tier L.A. team playing baseball only when it's convenient for him. You know what? Here's also a fun fact. Mike Trout has made the ALDS once, once in his career, and that was in 2014. You know what his stat line was? One for 12 with three walks. Absolutely abysmal numbers. And not to mention, the Angels got swept by the Royals 3-0. Like, thanks for playing, guys. My question is simply this. How can Mike Trout be the best player in the game if he's complete garbage in October? And don't quote me his adorable little regular season war or any stats like that. Thanks. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you, Jordan in Atlanta. That's some serious vitriol towards Mike Trout. I'm not sure it's warranted, but I appreciate the passion. This guy is super high octane. Um, I think it's a very appropriate time to be addressing this question the morning after the Angels played a baseball game where they scored four runs and all four of them were driven in by Mike Trout. Uh, including a three-run bomb, and guess what? The Angels lost six-four. Um, Lando, you wanna you wanna run with this one? Yeah, I'll start off with this one a little bit. So, my first thing is you're talking about how he hasn't made it to the playoffs, and I hope I can adequately articulate this. Baseball is a different type of team sport than basketball or football. You can't lift your teammates in baseball the same way you can in those two sports. In basketball, you're out there. There's five guys all doing things at the same time, and so you can make your teammates better. In baseball, it's just a collection of individual performances. When Mike Trout is up to bat, he can do the best he can, but then when he's on first base, the next guy's got to do his own thing, and there's nothing that Mike Trout can do about it. Same thing in the field. Mike Trout is in center field. A guy hits a ground ball to shortstop. Mike Trout can't play help defense 
for the shortstop. There's just there's just only so much he can do to help his team. So yes, he hasn't made the playoffs very much, but I don't think you can really count that against him the same way you could count that against someone in another sport. Secondly, is in eight full seasons, he has won three MVPs, come second four times, and then the only other season, because he got hurt, he finished fourth. So that's pretty good. I mean, Overall, if you're asking me if anybody has had a better season than Mike Trout in the last eight years, I would obviously say yes. I mean, a while back when he was young, he finished second in MVP when Miguel Cabrera hit for the Triple Crown. But if you're talking about just consistent greatness over a long period of time, that's what makes Mike Trout the best player in baseball. Yeah, Lando, I love how you mentioned that baseball is technically a team sport, but it's really not. It's a long series of one-on-one matchups. Mm-hmm. Like in football, you can debate whether one quarterback is better than the other. And during the conversation, you'll say, okay, well, this guy has a better O-line. All right, well, this guy has better wide receivers. That's not how baseball works. Baseball, one guy walks to the plate, some guy is 60 feet away throwing you know, mid to high 90s gas, and you're either going to hit dingers or be an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, It's pretty lonely up there, mm-hmm. uh, and there's nobody historically that's been a whole lot better than Mike Trout. Um, Jordan from Atlanta told us not to uh, use war, so I'm going to try to avoid that, uh, but I want to throw some stats out at you. Um, so there's an ESPN article that was published in June of 2018 uh, talking about Mike Trout's performance through his first thousand games of his career. So I want to kind of talk about how he stacks up against some of the all-time greats through his first thousand games. What you got? So hits the all-time leader through a thousand games, Pete Rose, legend, twelve hundred thirty-one. Mike Trout, eleven twenty-six. So ninety-one percent of Pete Rose's hits through a thousand games. Total bases, Hank Aaron, two thousand two hundred twenty-one. Mike Trout has ninety-five percent of those through a thousand games. Home runs, Barry Bonds, all-time leader. 172 through a thousand games mike trout 224 130 of barry bonds home runs through a thousand games uh moving forward to runs he's got 95 percent of ricky henderson's runs uh 106 of barry bonds's walks and now i will quote war uh barry bonds the all-time leader through a thousand games with 50 Mike Trout, 61.7. So he's been about 123% better than Barry Bonds by war. How do you feel about that? Well, unfortunately for Jordan, he clearly knew that the war stat was going to be a a bad one for his argument, which is why he called it cute and tried to to get us to not use it. But war is a perfectly acceptable stat, whether you like it or not. And I just think it's pretty indicative of how good Mike Trout is that ESPN has started this thing where every month – they have an article on which Hall of Famers Mike Trout passed in career war that month. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's pretty good. I think, yes. I think the end the last month of last season, he passed Derek Jeter in career war, despite playing. Mike Trout has appeared in parts, at least parts of 10 seasons so far, and Derek Jeter played 20 full seasons in Major League Baseball. He's already passed him. Yeah. I mean, his numbers are just ridiculous. And like we said, it's just a series of one-on-one matchups, and the stats kind of all roll up into into war, and it tells you everything you need to know. Uh, but admittedly, the article that I cited through the first thousand games of his career is old. It's from June 2018. All that he's done since then is in 2019, hit 45 home runs with 104 RBIs, a 438 OBP, and won his third MVP award that hurts jordan catch you later (laughs) (laughs) question number two is from joey in atlanta and also his wife amanda hops in here in a second too so long time listener first time caller huge fan of the show 
I wanted to get your take on spring football. Do you see it as a possibility? And if so, what does that mean for early round prospects? My wife also asked if y'all could talk about linebackers. She had no other context, and I'm pretty sure she still doesn't know what that position really is, but I told her I would ask anyways. All right, how do you feel about this? So college football in the spring, I I think that it's highly unlikely uh, due to, like you mentioned, high-profile players might sit out. Um, If they're talking about spring football starting in, call it February, but the NFL draft is in April, I mean, you take away a lot of incentive for, you know, guys who are projected to go in the first few rounds including trevor lawrence out of clemson justin fields quarterback from ohio state you know it takes away incentive for them to play if they're two months away from securing millions of dollars just sit the season out wait two more months what do you think yeah that's the biggest thing is injury or even risk of injury i mean in a normal college football season where injuries happen a lot i mean that's just the nature of the sport you tear your acl you miss college football and then you're back in time for the combine or at least nfl training camp the problem with spring football is if someone tears their acl they not only miss their entire last college football season they miss their first nfl season which destroys their draft stock and potentially costs them millions of dollars that's a problem or guys that are sophomores with two years of eligibility left, they tear their ACL in spring football mm-hmm. 2020. They missed their last two years of college. Exactly. That drastically hurts their draft stock. So I, I just think not only does it not make sense for 2020, but it bumps up too close to the following season as well. So I just, I don't think it's a feasible solution. Yeah. Another problem too is that, I mean, how much do we even think it's going to help? I mean, there's no guarantee that all of a sudden anything's going to be significantly better just because we wait a few extra months. I mean, if you compare it to like the flu, which a lot of people do in terms of infection rates with COVID, I mean, January and February is still really bad as well. So even if we waited, I'm not sure anything would would change drastically. Yeah, I I agree with you. So moving on to uh, the linebackers question from Amanda. Uh, How do you feel about linebackers, Lando? All right, Amanda. Um, First of all, linebackers are great. Love linebackers. Love that you asked this question. If you want some more information on linebackers, I would highly urge you to watch The Waterboy, which will give you a great look at one of the greatest linebackers of all time, Bobby Boucher. Guy was just all over the field, absolute tackling machine, completely unblockable, Plus, he came back at halftime and the Mud Dogs won the Bourbon Bowl. So that's where I would point you in the direction of uh, more information on linebackers. Tackling few. Tackling few. Love some Bobby Boucher. Uh, Amanda, I also want to point you to one of my favorite uh, football documentaries. It's called Remember the Titans. A great documentary from the early 2000s. Uh, It highlights one of the best linebacker duos of all time, in my opinion. Uh, You've got Gary Bertier, who kind of patrolled not only the middle of the field, but also the left side, which happened to be his strong side. And he was complimented by uh, Julius Campbell, who was a very highly disruptive pass rusher. Uh, They were one of the best linebacker duos, like I said, ever. They led the Titans to the state championship, and they are forever immortalized, if you happen to remember that one. Yeah, not to mention, they also were just, it's it's highly informative on racial injustice. If we could all just remember the Titans, the world would be a better place. Yes, if everyone watched Remember the Titans right now, my favorite football documentary, everything would be cured. Agreed. All right, we're moving on to another question, also from a voice recording on the Anchor app. This is from Anthony and Katie in Charlotte. Hey, guys, we got a hockey one for you here. Uh, the girlfriend really wants to ask you a question. So, girlfriend? Um, do you think Sidney Crosby is a bitch, or do you think he's one of the greatest hockey players of all time? So, yeah, we're hitting you with a hockey question. I don't know if, if this uh, – this podcast is really going to cover the NHL. We're big puck people, as you can tell. Uh, you know, go puck. 
uh, starting back up this week. So uh, a little background on that question. The girlfriend here did bartend for Sidney Crosby a few times in Pittsburgh, said he was a huge bitch, said he was very awkward, had no uh, skill set in talking to ladies, could only talk to Puck. So, uh, yeah, bitch or not. <laughs> All right, well, I understand the concerns, uh, but I'm going to go with not. The guy's won two Hart trophies and two Conn Smythe trophies, so he's got two regular season and two postseason MVPs. He's an NHL uh, Stanley Cup Finals champion. He's also kind of climbing up there in some of the all-time statistical leaders in terms of goals and points. So I'm going to go with not, but I can also see the other perspective. Preston, what do you think? I tend to agree with Lando here. First of all, Anthony and Charlotte, congrats on the girlfriend, man. That's great. She sounds wonderful. Um, but I agree with Lando. All those accolades stacked up. It's hard to argue that Sidney Crosby is not one of the greatest players of all time. But, I mean, those things aren't mutually exclusive. He is one of the greatest players of all time. But yeah. if, if KD says he's a B-word, who am I to disagree? He can be both. Yeah, I, I think both. It's possible. All right. Let's move on to the next question. This is from Joe in Dallas, who also happens to be our father. So he asked us, who is the best team in any sport that you have ever seen play in person? And I like this question a lot. I'm going to start off answering this question. And I actually have three teams, and I think my three are pretty good. So my number one, these are going to be in order. My number one team that I've ever seen play in person is the 1998 Chicago Bulls. So when we first moved to Atlanta, which was in the end of 97, it came around to like March of 98, which was my birthday. And if you watch the last dance, the Bulls came to Atlanta and played in the Georgia Dome, not not Phillips or anything that went around then. They played in the Georgia Dome. And so I got to see Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and the Chicago Bulls play en route to winning their second three-peat in their sixth NBA championship before they got dismantled. My number two would be the 1999 New York Yankees. I got to actually go to the World Series game, uh, one of the World Series games when they played the Braves in Atlanta. Absolutely annihilated the Braves. They won 8 nothing the game I went to, but that was a team led by Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, really good team. And then my third and final one would be the 2012-2013 Miami Heat with LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, Ray Allen. They went on a 27-game win streak that season. They finished 66-16. and That's the season they ended up beating the Spurs in seven after Ray Allen hit that shot in game six. Those are my three. Who are yours? Well, those are some pretty good ones. The 98 Bulls. You saw them live, huh? Yeah. I've, I've heard of them. Yeah, I guess I was seven years old at the time. I didn't get the invite. That one, that one hurts. It also wasn't your birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, so I've got I've got two here. I'm going to go with the 2005-2006 Texas Longhorns football team. Yep. Um, so they had been coming off a Rose Bowl win over Michigan. They were kind of on a collision course with the defending national champion USC all year. Ended up meeting them back in the Rose Bowl, which was the national championship, one of the greatest football games of all time sure was yeah uh, Vince Young put up a crazy performance in that game they won the natty and the reason I have to go with them is everybody was ready to call that USC football team the best college football team ever so if they go down to Texas who was undefeated they got to be in there um, they had Vince Young as we mentioned I think he finished third for the Heisman behind Matt Leinard and Reggae Bush um, they had Michael Huff who won the Thorpe Award that year they were just loaded with talent both teams put so many guys in the league uh, so that's that's my number one 
The second one I'm going to go with is the 2016-17 Golden State Warriors. Uh, so they won the title two years before, then won 73 games, then added KD, who, depending on who you're talking to, he's the second or third best player in the league. I don't want to talk about them anymore because I didn't really like them, but I saw them live uh, playing the Hawks in Atlanta. Obviously, that's not the cool part of it, but they went on to win the next two titles. They were pretty unstoppable with that that death lineup. They sure were. I forgot to mention that when I saw the Heat in person that year, I actually got a high five from LeBron, D. Wade, and Ray Allen. And then I just thought of that because you mentioned KD and the Warriors. At one point in time, I also got a high five from KD, but I wish that I could take that one back. <laughs> yeah. No no one wants a high five from Karen Duran. No, no, we don't. All right. We got one more question. We really had two questions that were both about Bryson DeChambeau. We're going to play both of them for you, and then we're going to get into a little something afterwards. These are, once again, from Anthony in Charlotte and Jordan in Atlanta. Hey guys, just want to uh, get your take on Bryson DeChambeau. I, I, my take on it is that I don't understand the praise he's getting for for being like this jack dude on the on the PGA tour. He's just a fat nerd. Anybody can put on forty pounds of, of flub and just shit weight and then be thick. But everyone's praising him like he's now the meathead, a musclehead in the on the PGA tour. It comes across as a slap in the face to those real meatheads out there. Shout out myself. I just don't think that we should be praising this dude for being thick and when he's really just kind of a nerd that ate That was Anthony, and now here is Jordan. Hey, guys. Love the podcast. So this is a topic that's been eating at me for a while now. Bryson DeChambeau has been the talk of the town on the PGA Tour this season simply because he started working out. However, nobody is talking about how DeChambeau only got this big because of his massive inferiority complex stemming from a public grift with the PGA Tour's bad boy, Brooks Kepka. Bryson said Brooks didn't even have a six-pack in Brooks's ESPN The Body issue, to which Kepka brilliantly retorted with a pick of four major championship trophies, saying he is only too short of a six-pack. One of the all-time douche-ups, if you ask me. So my question to you guys is simply this. Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau walk into a dive bar and knock back a few beers. Who wins in a bar so there fight? There is apparently so much interest in this question that we have decided to turn it into our second ever Big Three draft. If you weren't around for our last episode, Big Three is when we both draft three of something in order to compete against one another. So what we're going to do is we're each going to draft three golfers to compete against one another in an anchorman style meet in the alley fight. And what we're going to do is play rock, paper, scissors. Whoever wins gets to go first, and we're going to make Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau have to be the first two picks, so we will debate the merits of them in order to answer your questions as part of the draft. You ready for some RPS? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Ooh. All right. All right. Paper wins, baby. Paper one and one. Yep. All right. You got me. All right. Who do you have with your first overall pick? First of all, I want to say it's funny that it only took about five minutes, but I think we might have found someone that Jordan hates more than Mike Trout. (laughs) These guys both hate Bryson DeChambeau a lot. Yes, they do. Um, So getting to the question and with the first pick in the draft, I'm going to go with Brooks Koepka. Okay. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, my answer may have been different. Um, But as Anthony alluded to, they've both gone through these body transformations over the past years, kind of in the opposite direction. DeChambeau has added 
literally, I think, 40 pounds over the last year uh, to gain a competitive advantage. I think three weeks ago, he piped one 423 yards off the tee. He did. It's just insane. So clearly, it's working for him. But you never know if it's going to work in a bar fight or not. You know, does that hurt his stamina? Who knows? Um, but I think that Brooks may be in trouble if the bar fight goes to the ground. Uh, you know, DeChambeau might hit him with a little ground and pound with 240 pounds of meat. But I trust Brooks to, you know, keep it, keep it on his feet and just duke it out uh, before a couple uh, bar patrons and bouncers break it up. So I'm going with Brooks uh, by split decision. All right. Well, you kind of uh, already made my pick for me, obviously, but I actually was hoping you picked Kapka because I wanted DeChambeau. Oh, really? I just want, yeah, I want the pure size. I mean, I just don't really think stamina is that important in a bar fight. And I think it probably will go to the ground like you were fearing a second ago pretty quickly. And I think that 240 pounds versus 205 is a, just a distinct advantage. Fair enough. But as Jordan said, Brooks is PJ Tour's bad boy. You really want to fight him at the dive bar? I mean, to be honest, I am a little bit nervous because Brooks Kepka clearly has the edge. Like if you just look at their demeanors, I would much rather fight DeChambeau than Kepka because Kepka is way more scary. But the size kind of puts him over the top for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue that, but you know, the massive inferiority complex with Bryson too, that could be a motivating factor. We'll have to see. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm up with the third overall pick. I'm going to go with one of the biggest dudes on tour, Dustin Johnson. Oh, okay. How do you not take him? I mean, I think the dude is like 6'4", 230. Um, I think it's been well documented that if he's out of the dive bar, he's not scared to use, we'll call them performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> yes. um, that could help in a fight. So I'm going to go with DJ. So, so far I've got Brooks Kepka and DJ. Those are some, some seriously big dudes. Okay. My second pick, which is the fourth overall pick, I'm going with John Daly. Oh, wow. I'm going to pure girth on my team. (laughs) (laughs) Team bad boy versus team all girth. Yeah. (laughs) So John Daly, first of all, adds to the weight advantage that my team already has. Second of all, if we're meeting in the alley like this or in a bar, I want someone who's going to kind of play a little dirty. I feel like John Daly's the kind of guy that's going to bring like brass knuckles or like a pitchfork, like Brick Tamlin or something like that. (laughs) Yes. He he would do something crazy. Yeah. He might want to lay low for a while after this, but I I think that he would would bring some... (laughs) some dirty tactics to the fight and uh i like the advantage that that brings my team oh yeah john daly before the fight kicked off would stare at you from across the bar and put out a lit cigarette on his forearm for intimidation exactly and i love it yeah i I think that could give you some serious edge i'm all about that okay so for my third pick i I feel like now i have to round out team all bad boy so i'm gonna go with the man the myth the legend tiger woods okay he's a little bit you know past his prime maybe fighting wise what's he in his low 40s but mm-hmm. he's still pretty jacked um he's at the bar he's wearing his sunday red you really want to fight tiger woods at the bar i mean i feel like john daly would instantly go for all the metal in tiger woods back and he'd be incapacitated within seconds i don't know i don't know man like we said with uh bryson i, I worry about john daly's stamina at the bar I, i'm not sure he could keep up with tiger so far if this fight goes beyond 30 seconds the stamina of my team <laughs> is lacking yes you you need an early knockout pretty bad yeah all right so with my third and final pick and i don't even feel bad about doing this because you already had multiple opportunities to take this guy happy gilmore (laughs) (laughs) oh that's cheating no it is not cheating it's not cheating he is a 100 percent a golfer he can drive the ball 400 yards he has a gold jacket to prove that he won the tour championship oh my goodness that absolutely counts so happy gilmore he's got two records he spent the most time in the penalty box and is the only ever guy to take off a skate and try to stab somebody with it (laughs) that's true so once again my team is going to play dirty not much stamina but we're coming at you hard and fast 
Okay, so so I've got some guys that are pretty big, uh, you know, have a, have an advantage in a fight um, in terms of size. You've got guys who are, you know, I guess Bryson's big, and the other two are just willing to do anything to win. Exactly. So just to recap, we're going to put this to a vote in the near future. Who's your team? Brooks so Kepka. I'm, I'm team all bad boys. Okay. So Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods. Okay, cool. And then I've got Bryson DeChambeau, John Daly, and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. We should have more clearly defined the rules before this. I'm a little self-conscious now that you have Happy, Happy Gilmore. I intentionally did not clearly define the rules because I had him in mind from the very beginning. That's, that's very noble of you. And yep. before we move on, I wanted to mention one honorable mention. I don't know if you'll have some as well, but uh, there was an article on theverse.com about golf. Uh, golfers being actually polled about guys that they would want on their side in a bar fight. Mm. And one of them that I want to mention is Angel Cabrera. Oh yeah, that's a good one. He's he's a guy that's kind of over the hill. He's a little older, a little chubby. But uh, in this article, it says that he was asked um, once by an interviewer if he saw a sports psychiatrist. And his response was, no, of course not. I smoke cigarettes. Oh. I'm not really sure how that relates to the question mm-hmm. at all but that just sounds like a guy who wants to fight yeah he sounds like he belongs on my team yeah he grew up uh in a bad part of argentina he's known as golf slumdog millionaire i mean that guy sounds like he's been in a bar fight i love it i love the honorable mentions i don't have any but i'm with that one too fair enough let's move on to another sport now the nba Biggest news of NBA right now is that the season starts on Thursday night. We're not going to talk too much about it right now because we're going to have an NBA preview coming out within the next couple of days. But one big piece of news was the Lou Williams news that came out recently. He left the bubble for an excused personal reason, only to have a picture of him taken at a strip club in Atlanta posted on social media. What you got on Lou? Yeah, so that was a little bit of an unfortunate series of events there. So he was off on an excused absence from the bubble in Orlando. Um, He was at Magic City Strip Club in Atlanta. He was photographed by rapper Jack Harlow, who I've never even heard of. But anyway, so the picture came out and Jack Harlow came out and defended Lou and said, this was actually an old picture. I was just reminiscing. Um, The problem with that alibi was that Lou in the picture was wearing a mask that was issued to him by the NBA in Orlando within the last couple weeks. So that's tough. The the timestamp on there is a little incriminating. But I guess my problem with this whole thing is Lou Williams was excused to go to Atlanta for a funeral. So that's, of course, an excused mm-hmm. um, activity, but why is going to your favorite strippy say hey to a couple old friends, pick up a ten pack of lemon pepper wet wings with fries and ranch? Why is that not excused? <laughs> you kidding me? That's everyday stuff. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, he did say that he only went to the strip club to get some food once he was found out that the the timestamp didn't didn't line up with his original alibi. He was getting wings. Yeah, he was getting wings. I recently had a patient at work tell me that uh, Quick Trip was her favorite restaurant. Oh, <laughs> I think I thought that oh, was ridiculous. Wow. I think Magic City for uh, Lou's restaurant that's also a tough call. I think that's those are one and two as far as places that I don't want to go for food. Apparently, they have good food. Uh, Pat McAfee tweeted out yesterday. Day. To be fair, Magic City has incredible wings. Oh, gosh. All right, let's move on. Let's go to the NFL next. The lead story in the NFL over the past couple of days is that Jamal Adams, who is a NFL superstar, got traded. The Seahawks sent Bradley McDougald, as well as their first-round picks in 2021 and 2022, as well as their third-round pick in 2021 in exchange for Jamal Adams and the Jets' fourth-round pick in 22. 
What do you think about that deal? So I'm a little surprised by it just in terms of how much the Seahawks gave up. But if you really look at their past draft history, it's not shocking. You look at the Seahawks since 2013. They did not have a first round pick in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2017. And now they have traded away their first rounders in 21 and 22. Wow. It's just clear that they have a different philosophy about the draft. They don't view it as a sure thing. They view it as kind of a lottery ticket. So they have just established that they would rather have a star player, a proven commodity, even if you have to turn around and pay him 20 plus million dollars a year, rather than four or five years of cheap labor um, for a rookie draft pick. And even though it was very expensive for them, they are now looking up at the San Francisco 49ers in their division trying to get past them and this is just it's the kind of move you make when you feel like you're on the brink yeah. um, a superstar like Jamal Adams can take them to the next level um, and I think that in a division that has put a clear emphasis on the run game like the Los Angeles Rams and the 49ers have done he's going to help Roman Patrolin back there in the safety linebacker spot and just help them a ton yeah, it's interesting because it's generally the opposite philosophy of a lot of other teams. Teams like the Patriots love to load up on draft picks because they get those players at a discount for the first four years of their career. But even though it's a really interesting and different strategy than most teams have employed, the Seahawks have been successful enough to earn some credibility in all this. The weirdest thing to me is just the position that Jamal Adams plays. You'd expect this kind of thing, and we've seen this kind of thing recently for players at more premium positions, like a corner who can lock down one half of the field or an edge rusher that commands a double team. Like Those are the kind of guys that you'd expect to give up two first-round picks for. So even though I love Jamal Adams, I do feel like the Seahawks gave up a little too much. But either way, I'm excited to see kind of if this puts them over the top like you were talking about. Yeah, and it's interesting because you mentioned that he doesn't play a premium position. He's listed as a safety, but I saw a stat yesterday after this trade happened that uh, in his three years in the league, he's actually lined up for more snaps at the linebacker spot or up in the box than he has back at a single high or deep safety. So he's he's kind of just a defender that roams all over the field like a Tyron Matthew type or like Isaiah Simmons in this past draft out of Clemson that was prioritized just because of his freakish athletic ability. You can kind of put him at linebacker, safety, pass rusher, whatever. Um, so Jamal Adams, I, I guess people are viewing him as a little bit more than just a safety so so that's interesting yeah that makes perfect sense i i had seen people kind of argue against what the seahawks did in this trade by pointing to the fact that jamal adams has two career career interceptions which i was shocked by but when you point out the stat that he's more of kind of a an up in the box type of safety who's trying to stop the run not not so much a ball hawk who's trying to pick off passes that makes a lot more sense right and i, I think that he leads safeties in the league and sacks the past couple of years there you go um, so what did you think about the trade from the jets perspective uh, I love the trade from the Jets perspective. I mean, they're the kind of team that needs a lot of young talent. So loading up on first round picks um, and even third round picks, I mean, a third round pick in a typical draft, if you do well, is a starting player for the first few years of his career. So I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think that from the Jets perspective, they, they just need a stockpile talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're nowhere near contention, there's no reason to pay a guy like Jamal Adams a ton of money, especially when you have Sam Darnold's contract coming up soon. Uh, so I like it for the Jets. Um, I think that this is inevitably the last year of the failed Adam Gase experiment. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, you know they'll be able to entice a coach after they fire Adam Gase with a lot of draft capital. Yep, that's huge. All right, let's move on to Major League Baseball. This has been opening weekend of the baseball season. A little update, update on the playoff format. When we left last episode, I mean, within 30 minutes of finishing the last episode, the MLB officially announced that they were going to a 16-team playoff. And the way that it's structured is that the first and second place teams from every division 
as well as two wildcard teams will make the playoffs. And then it's just going to be structured as you'd expect. One seed versus eight seed, two versus seven, and so on. I'm already on record stating that I don't really like this many teams making it. But for one season, I'm kind of coming around to the fact that it could be really fun. We went through some of those or all of those MLB division races last episode. And I think this really benefits all those teams that are in kind of these tight two team races in their divisions, like the Braves and the Nats, the Yankees and Rays, Astros, A's are all now a lot less worried about making the playoffs. What did you think about it? I think it becomes intriguing for a division like we mentioned with the NL West, where it's a one-team race. The mm-hmm. Dodgers are going to run away with that division. I feel like that is just inevitable. Um, so it's it's interesting that a team like the Rockies or Padres are going to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine how pissed Manny Machado is going to be if he has to play a playoff game? <laughs> yeah, because he's going to get exposed again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the only problem is that for these teams, like once you make it, it's a lot harder to win. So like the Braves, for example, are now a lot more confident about making the playoffs, but having to go through an extra round of playoffs in a shortened series, you know, five, seven game series, like there's so much volatility in baseball already trying to make it through an extra round, even though your chances of making the playoffs increase, your chances of winning the whole thing decrease. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about this with the 16 team playoff is that they're doing three round or three game series the first round. That's crazy. So a team like the Yankees might run away with the one seed in the American League and turn around and be fighting for their life two days later. Yeah. Anybody, anybody, I don't care who it is, can win a three game series in baseball. Oh, yeah. It happens all It's going to be wild. What did you think? What were your just like overall thoughts? Anything that stood out to you from opening weekend of baseball? So there are a few historical things that happened in opening weekend that I want to touch on. Uh, my AL Cy Young pick, Shane Bieber. You see his performance? Yes, I did. Gosh. <laughs> so he recorded the most strikeouts ever without giving up a run on opening day with 14 Ks. He was he was making people miss. He looks fantastic. Um, another one, Matt Olson, who happens to be my American League it's MVP the most pick. Self-serving <laughs> opening opening weekend observations, but to be fair, they are true. So. They are true, and I actually had an abysmal start in um, uh, fantasy baseball this weekend, so I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Okay, but don't, don't be mad at me for my guys making I'm history. Not, I'm not. They're great picks. Keep on going. And you know we're big fans of the Oakland Mats, so don't hate. Yep. So Matt Olson, my American League AL uh, MVP pick, he hit the first walk-off Grand Slam on opening day since 1986. That's impressive. Yeah, I went. it was a West Coast game, so we went to bed. I woke up. The first thing I saw when I checked my phone in the morning is that Matt Olson had a walk-off Grand Slam. I was like, oh, I'm going to hear about this today. Yep, and did you see what happened in the eighth inning? Matt Chapman ripped an RBI triple to take the lead yep. <laughs> before. So Oakland Mats for the win. Crushing it. Love them. And so the last one I want to mention is that for the first time in 66 years, no Major League Baseball team started 3-0. Yeah, that's crazy. That was one of my observations or just kind of thoughts after the first weekend was when I saw everybody's record after their first three or four games, like this is going to be just a tight race to the finish all the way. I mean, we we could theoretically get to like the last weekend, last series of the season and a division might have four teams that could win it at the same time. Like it's going to be wild. It's just so hard to separate yourself within 60 games. It's it's going to come down to the wire. It's going to be crazy. And I've noticed a trend on Twitter now is talking about baseball games like they're each three games. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. I mean, they're 2.7. If you win, if you win one baseball game this season, it is almost the equivalent of a three-game sweep in previous seasons. Yeah, and and so like when the Braves started 0 and 1 against the Mets, everyone's like, basically the Braves just got swept by the Mets. I started having a panic attack. Yeah, it was fun. Like because game two, then it felt like a must-win. 
I mean, how how often do you have a must-win regular season baseball game? Not very often, but it felt it's, like that. Especially the opening weekend. Yeah. But yeah, you can't get off to a slow start, and that's yeah. going to hurt you. Yeah, it was fun. Um, one of my biggest things is just that it was fun to watch. Like, even without the fans, obviously, I wish the fans were there, but it was still fun to watch. It was baseball's baseball. Um and it was, it was nice getting back into the swing of things. I thought it was really cool that, especially in some stadiums, their sound engineers were so good. We were watching the Nats and Yankees game last night, and the guy was just perfectly timed with all of his crowd sounds. If you hadn't known otherwise, you would have thought it was a normal game. Like, for example, they had a, a replay going on, and they showed the replay on the big screen, and the Nats were clearly going to win the review. And so right when it showed on the big screen, there was like a cheer of the fans as if they knew that they had won the review. Like, it was just, it was a lot of cool stuff as far as that's concerned. I also noticed that things weren't as different as they thought, as I thought they would be with Corona stuff. When players hit home runs, they're still high fives. They're still cheering in the dugout. Like, they're just kind of not listening to those rules, which I understand. Right. It seems like a couple of those rules they're just going to simply ignore until told otherwise. But I agree with you. I thought the production of it was really good. I liked the sound engineers pumping in the crowd noise, especially the ones, like you mentioned, in the Yankees-Nats game that did it very effectively. They Mm -hmm. mentioned during the broadcast a couple of times how good he was at it. Uh, I liked the cardboard cutouts of both uh, people and dogs in the crowd. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, I think actually the production turned out pretty good. Yeah, um, Adam Duvall hit a home run off of Jeff McNeil's dog's face, which is kind of sad, but I'll, I'll take it. Okay, and before we leave baseball, we should at least mention a couple big injuries come from the weekend. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, ace for the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, got scratched from his opening day start with some back tightness, but I did read that he's already throwing from 90 feet, should not miss more than 10 days. And then also it was announced yesterday, originally, that Justin Verlander may be in danger of missing the rest of the season with some elbow discomfort. They corrected that later and said that it is just, I believe, a forearm tightness, so he hopefully won't miss more than a few weeks. Yeah, and then we had Corey Kluber leave the game yesterday with some shoulder tightness. So a few big-name pitchers have already left games early in the season. Didn't really expect this to happen because from all reports, pitchers were able to throw even when they were kind of isolated and not in camp. So I don't I don't really understand why all this is happening, but hopefully this is not a trend that continues. Uh, we've also got some big news coming from the Marlins this morning. They had to cancel their home opener, which is tonight because they've got eight guys that have tested positive for COVID uh, recently. They already had to scratch three starters and their starting pitcher yesterday. So that'll be a really interesting uh, kind of storyline to see how that develops. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how Major League Baseball is going to handle this. Of course, there's no precedent at all for it. Uh, The main reason I'm bummed about this is the Marlins and Orioles, that's a first place game, man. Which is insane. That's just another <laughs> another example of how crazy the season is. The Marlins going two and one opening weekend. They're both two and one. They're oh, tied man. for first in their divisions, fighting for playoff spots. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully the Marlins will figure it out and all those guys will be okay. Yeah, hopefully baseball season will keep going. And that's going to be it for episode three of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Keep an eye out in the next couple days for our NBA preview coming up with the new season starting on Thursday night. And also, don't forget to vote on social media for the champion of the big three today with the sports brawl. Preston, what else you got? Vote for Team All Bad Boy. (laughs) We want to extend a sincere thank you to everybody who's listening and especially those who submitted questions to our mailbags. Uh, Again, you can send in your questions or thoughts to sysmailbag at gmail.com. That's sysmailbag at gmail.com. Or download the Anchor app. Send us a voice recording. We'll play that on the uh, next episode of the podcast or on our next Monday mailbag. Um, Sincere thank you to Anthony, Jordan, Katie, Joe, Joey, and Amanda for your questions. Uh, Thanks again, everybody, and have a great week.